I said, my girl remains unidentified. And the first victim was a prostitute? Yes. She worked the service stations, picking up lorry drivers, doing the business in their cabs, and then, often getting dropped off at the next service station along the M1 to find new clients before heading back to the first. It was two hours later before they arrived at the incident room. This had been set up at the police station closest to the crime scene in a new building in Hendon, North London, with an entire floor given over to the murder team. Anna was pleased to see she'd be joined by DC's Barbara Maddox and Joan Falkland. Mike Lewis and Baroli had also worked with the women on previous cases, and it promised to be a friendly atmosphere. By early afternoon, the incident room board was filling up with photographs and details. Baroli had installed himself at the desk opposite Anna. He said, "'How's life been treating you?' "'Okay. I've worked a few other cases. How about you?' "'Well, we've been on the other two for about a year, and then I went on to something else over at Lambeth. So, to all intents and purposes, the cases were shelved?' "'Yeah. Without getting one of the victims identified, it was tough. First one was Margaret or Maggie.' Potts, age 39, string of previous arrests for prostitution, drug addict and known to work the service stations. We had no handbag, no witness, but got her ID from fingerprints. She was raped and strangled. Anna looked at the mugshot posted up. Maggie Potts had been a dark-eyed, sullen-faced woman, her dyed blonde hair with an inch of black regrowth. When she sifted through the crime scene photographs, she could see the similar pattern. Potts' body had been dumped in a field not far from the M1 motorway. She had on a short red jacket and a black skirt which was drawn up to her waist, and her knickers had been ripped apart. Baroli tapped the second victim's photograph. This is the one we never identified. We had a picture on the TV crime programmes, in missing persons, magazines, you name it, but with no luck. She was a pretty little thing, too. Anna turned her gaze on the Jane Doe, and, as Baroli had said, she was exceedingly pretty, with long dark hair down to her shoulders, a fringe, a pale face with wide-apart blue eyes, and full lips. She looked innocent. Anna looked over the details of the young woman's clothes. They were good labels, stylish but not new, and she had been wearing black ballet-type shoes. She said... You reckon the same killer did both previous cases? He shrugged. Same M.O., but who knows without any DNA. Only thing we got was a few carpet fibres. But where she came from, who she was, how she came to be murdered, is still unknown. The following morning, the post-mortem details had still not come through. So Anna spent the entire morning examining the extensive files. It was after lunch when Mike Lewis called a briefing. Their victim had died from strangulation, he announced. She had been raped and had extensive bruises to her vagina and abdomen. There were no signs of drug use. She was in good health. A fingerprint search had proved negative, but it was hoped that dental work would bring a result as she had very good teeth, with two caps that appeared to have been done recently. The dead female's T-shirt was from Miss Selfridge and her skirt from Asda. Mike Lewis said that her age was between 16 to 25 and they would be going to the press to try and get a result. 
By the late afternoon, the press office had sent out cleaned-up photographs of the victim and requests for anyone with information to come forward. The details were also passed on to the television news, while officers armed with the victim's photograph were still questioning everyone at the nearest service station. Usually after such press coverage they would be inundated with callers, but although they had a small number, none gave them a clue as to who the young woman was. On the fourth day Anna received a letter. Barbara placed it on her desk, raising her eyebrows as she did so. Fan mail? Anna turned over the envelope. Stamped on the back was the address of Barfield Prison. She slit open the envelope and took out a blue-lined, thin sheet of writing paper. Typed in the right-hand corner was the prison's address and the name Cameron Welsh, prisoner 6678905, top security wing. She knew who it was immediately. Cameron Welsh was an exceptionally evil, sadistic killer...